right. Well, as the kids are heading out, if you would, take your Bible and turn to the book of Acts. We're going to be at Acts chapter 17 this morning. Now, you may be thinking, are we ever going to make it through the book of Acts? In in fact, we are going to make it through the book of Acts. We're even going to start picking up speed just a little bit so that we'll finish the book of Acts as we head into, into Christmas, into Advent season. So we have about six or seven more weeks. And what we're going to do in these final chapters of Acts is look for big themes. What is Luke, who wrote the book of Luke, the third book of the New Testament, but also wrote the book of Acts, what is Luke trying to tell us on a big picture? What are some of those major themes of the book of Acts? Because the big picture of Acts is simply that the gospel, the good news about Jesus, is spreading to all places, to all people, despite the fact that there's all this opposition. The gospel spreads and it runs into a barrier. God's Spirit drives the gospel, the good news about Jesus, beyond that barrier and just keeps going and going and going. And what we're ultimately going to find in chapter 28 is that the gospel makes it all the way to Rome. And you say, big deal. What's, what's the big deal about Rome? Remember at this time in history, Rome is the center of the world. It is where everything revolves around. And so what Luke is showing us is the gospel begins in Jerusalem, which is the religious center, so to speak, for the Jewish people. And it's going to spread to Rome, to the government center, to the political center, to the economic center. So the gospel spreads literally throughout the whole world is what it's showing us. And the whole book is about how does that happen? How does the gospel spread? And so in Acts chapter 17, we're going to look at one piece of that. If you got a a bulletin as you came in, on the back of that bulletin are some sermon notes that you can use to follow along. And we're also going to have some some images up on the screen and, and some PowerPoint as well. And what we're going to do today is instead of reading the whole chapter at one time, we're going to read it in chunks as we go along. It won't be up on the screen, but if you have a phone or a Bible in front of you, you can follow along there. Now, up on the screen right now, I know it tests your vision if it's not particularly good from down there, but I've bought this handy-dandy laser pointer this week, okay? I'm very proud of my laser pointer, so I'm going to use it whether you want me to or not, but I'm going to use my, my laser pointer, Okay. This first map, I'd really like a drum roll, but we don't have one right now, okay? This first map, boom, right there. All right, right there is where Paul's first missionary journey takes place. Jerusalem is down here. This is where all the events in the life of Jesus took place, down in this area of the map, that bottom right. Antioch is one of the main bases of where Paul's missionary journeys take place. And Tarsus, right here. That is Paul's hometown. So what you see in that first missionary journey is that most of his travel, most of the spread of the gospel, happened in a fairly small area around where Paul grew up. But watch what happens in the second journey. When you look at the second missionary journey, notice how far it spreads. You're talking this huge chunk of the Mediterranean. This is the Mediterranean Sea in here. Here's Rome over in this area. This is where the gospel is ultimately going to make it. But this is where the gospel begins to spread. Last week, we were in Philippi, up here. This week, we're going to move into this area around Thessalonica. Now, let me show you something interesting that happens in the ancient world. 
in the ancient world, they had their version of I-10. I don't know what your feelings are toward I-10. I kind of despise I-10. Uh, if I can avoid having to drive Interstate 10, I would like to, like to avoid it. But they had their version. Go back to that map just for a second, Lyndon, on the previous screen. They had a road, an east-west road, that was called the Via Ignatia. It was kind of the I-10. It started up in this area. It came right along here, and then it continued west toward Rome. So it went right, right through there. That'll be important here in just a minute, but I want you to have that image in your mind. Plus, I wanted to use my laser pointer too, so that's pretty much what it came down to. But this was the idea. There was this major east-west road that was going through the ancient world. What happens is when you get into Acts chapter 17, verse 1, it says, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. Thessalonica... Let me give you one more indication. Sorry, Lyndon, I messed you up again. Thessalonica is going to be right here, okay? They came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. As his custom was, this is verse 2, as his custom was, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ, he said, Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. But the Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other brothers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have come now here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. Okay, when you think about Thessalonica, and this is on your notes as well in the back, when you think about Thessalonica, I want you to think about the idea of explanation. If you look back in verse 3, it says that after Paul, actually at the end of verse 2, as Paul went to the synagogue and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scripture. That word reason there simply has the idea of the fact that Paul made an argument. I don't know what your normal news watching habits are on TV, But for whatever reason, we live in a culture now where it's common on TV that you'll have two talking heads and and they're, they're debating two sides of an issue. And a lot of times they're not really talking at each other in any reasonable argument uh, approach. They're usually yelling, they're talking loudly, they're just trying to make their point as loudly as they can for their side. It's essentially how politics works today. This is not that. What Paul is doing right here is he is reasoning with them. He is making arguments. He is telling them this belief in Jesus Christ is actually based on something. There there is a foundation for what we believe. And then in verse 3, it says he not only reasoned with them, but he explained to them. That word explained there is actually a word that means opened. 
he, he tried to open their mind. He knew that they were closed off against the idea that Jesus was Lord, and so he tried to explain it to them. He tried to, he tried to give them an open mind about what was being taught about Jesus. You've probably seen this in your own life. If you try to hammer, if you try to hammer your opinion into somebody's life, what normally happens? They become closed off, they become defensive, they don't want to hear what you have to say. So Paul is not hammering his idea into their mind. What Paul is trying to do is he is trying to open their mind and say, you need to consider this. You need to open yourself up to what I'm telling you about Jesus. Now the background for this passage is found in Luke chapter 24. You can make a note on your notes if you would like about Luke 24. The verses are going to be up on the screen. Let me, let me have you look at those on the screen. Luke 24, starting in verse 27. Beginning with Moses, this is Jesus speaking after the resurrection. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. Jesus acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us. For it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So Jesus went in to stay with them. And then look what happens when Jesus goes into their house. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And then look at the next phrase. Their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And then he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scripture. That's the exact phrase, the exact wording that's being used in Acts chapter 17. The idea that when we are exposed to God's word, our eyes are open. Let me ask you a question. This depends on kind of your, your life, what it's been to up at this point. But can you think of a time in your life that you were completely closed off to the message of Christianity? You didn't want to hear the Bible, you didn't hear, want to hear anything about God. You didn't want to hear anything about Jesus. You were just completely closed off to that. And then something happens, and your eyes are open, your heart is open. All of a sudden, you become receptive to this message about Jesus. And what it's talking about in Luke 24 and in Acts chapter 17 is that oftentimes God will use his people— if they don't hammer away at someone, but if they simply speak to them and open the scriptures to them, that that person's eyes will be open, and all of a sudden they will become receptive to the message about Jesus. This is the message of Luke 24. It's the message of Acts 17. It's the message of what Paul does wherever he goes. But notice after that in Acts 17, go back there in your phone or, or your Bible. It says in verse 3, he was explaining to them and in the New International Version, right after that, it says proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. Now, the NIV there uses the word proving. If you're reading from the King James Version, it will say alleging. If you're reading from the New King James Version, it will say demonstrating. If you're reading from the New American Standard, it'll probably say something like giving evidence. There, there are a lot of different phrases that are used there to interpret what's going on. The New International Version uses proving. I, I'm not a big fan of, of that word right there because proving makes it sound like you're able to say something beyond a shadow of a doubt. And, and that's not what Paul is doing. What Paul is doing here when it says he's proving it, what he's doing is he's 
putting forward information. He's putting forward evidence. He's saying, guess what? My faith, my belief is actually based on something. There's a foundation to what I'm talking about here. What do we have next? Oh yeah, go to the next screen, Lyndon. So here's what this whole idea boils down to. And here's the point I want to make on this. Sometimes, sometimes when we talk about Christianity, we make it sound like we're wanting other people to be gullible. Here's what I'm trying to say. Let me see if I can say this more, more clearly. When we present the message about Jesus, we think we just want people to take it on blind faith or we're asking someone to make a leap of faith. Anybody an Indiana Jones fan in, in the house? Indiana Jones um, and the Lost Crusade, he's getting ready to cross this cavern, and he's standing there, and what's the problem? There's no bridge. There's no bridge to get across. But Indiana Jones has in his hand this booklet, this piece of paper. And what does the paper show? That there's a path across this cavern. And so what does Indiana Jones do? He takes a step out, and there's a stone there. And he takes another step, and there's a stone there. And what looked to be no bridge or no pathway actually turns into a path. He took a step of faith. He took a step of faith. Here's what we want to be very clear about, and and we want to make sure that we're not misleading people with this, this idea. Sometimes when we say, I want you to believe in God, I want you to believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, somebody will say, why? Why should I believe that? I can't see God. I've never seen Jesus. It's just an old book that was written a long time ago. I don't care about the Bible. I don't care about what you say about Jesus. Why should I believe that? And we say, you just need to take a step of faith. Just take a leap into the dark. Well, that's okay, except we have to be clear what we're saying. We're not asking people to take a step into the dark based on no information or based on no evidence or based on no arguments. What we're saying is there are reasons that you can take this step of faith. When Paul met with these people, he reasoned with them. He explained to them. He offered evidence for why you can believe about Jesus and then you take the step of faith. Now, there are two dangers that come up here. The first is, if we're not careful, we'll say, you just need to believe in this because it feels true. Somebody, somebody will hear about Jesus and, we'll, and they'll say, you know what, it just feels true to me. I just get this good feeling inside when I hear about God or when I hear about the Bible. And so because I get this good feeling, it must be true. Let me caution you against that. Because there are a lot of faiths in the world that are built on the fact that they want you to believe that it's true simply because it gives you a particular feeling inside. That particular feeling inside might have been the food that you ate last night. It it might not be any confirmation about what is true about Jesus. And guess what? If your faith in Jesus is based on how you feel inside, guess what? Some days... We don't feel very religious. We don't feel very spiritual. We don't feel very godly. And if we are going to base our lives on the spiritual feeling we have inside, you know what we're going to look like? We're going to be up and down and up and down, and we're going to have doubts and discouragement and think, you know, I really have anything I can hold on to. 
remember that our faith is not simply based on emotions or feeling. It's based on the truth of God's word. There is evidence, there are arguments, there are reasons for why we believe what we believe. And so then you might turn around and say, so you're saying I have to be smart? I have to be intellectual to be a Christian? No, I'm not saying that either because faith in Christ is more than just intellectually agreeing with a set of facts. In James chapter 2, it says that even the demons believe that God exists and shudder. So it's not just about knowing something with your mind. It's about putting your mind and your heart together. We have a faith, but it's a faith that's based on something. Let me give you a pattern for how this works. The pattern is, is you start out with someone and you say, here's what I want you to believe. I want you to believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is Savior, that you can trust in him for salvation. And so then that person fully devotes themselves to Christ. They fully give faith to who Jesus is. But even at that point, we don't stop learning. When you fully put your faith in Jesus Christ, we still have a faith that can seek further understanding. When you become a Christian, I hope you don't stop asking questions. I hope that's the beginning of the time that you begin to ask questions, to know I have this faith in Jesus, but where does this lead me? What else do I need to know? What else can I learn about God's word? Because if you stop at that initial moment of salvation, you're gonna run dry in a hurry because you're not continuing to seek after more of God's word, more of what he's done in your life, more understanding of where that leads you. Why does this matter? Why, why, why are we harping on this point? Here's the reason. The reason is because you probably, in your family or at your workplace or in your friends, you have lawyers and doctors and scientists and engineers and a whole group of people around you who say, you know what, I would do that Jesus thing, but I would like to keep my mind. You know, I'm just, I, I can't believe that you're so gullible, I can't believe, or, 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 or they'll say something like, you know what, that's good for you, I'm glad you have that faith thing, but you know, I'm just not really into that. I, I don't really have a reason to pursue that. And what goes on in people's minds, and we have unfortunately sold this as a church, what goes on in people's minds is they completely divide faith from reason. And they think if I'm going to be a reasonable person, if I'm going to be an engineer or a scientist or a business person, if I'm going to be reasonable, I can't have faith. And yet what we're seeing in Acts chapter 17 is as the gospel goes forward, reason and faith are meant to go together. And so when you have people in your life who are turned off to Christianity because they think they have to leave their brain at the door, take them to Acts 17. Take them to Luke 24. Let them know that we are supposed to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Being a follower of Jesus doesn't mean you stop thinking. Hopefully it means you begin to think even more than you ever did before. So what we want to understand is as the gospel goes forward, we engage our minds, we think to the glory of God. So after this, in Thessalonica, go back to Acts 17 in your Bible. We're gonna go more quickly through these next cities. But look in verse 10. As soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. 
Now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Many of the Jews believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. When the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, they went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. The brothers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. The men who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left him with instructions for, uh, and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. Okay, here's what's happening. So Paul is in Thessalonica. Remember, he's on Interstate 10. It says here that he goes to Berea. Here's what Paul has done. Paul has turned south on 603 and he's headed to Bay St. Louis. Uh, because the Via Ignatia, that main east-west route, it kept going west toward Rome. But you could turn south on 603 and you could go down to a place called Berea. And so Paul goes to Berea, and it says when he presents his message in Berea, they received it with eagerness, and they examined the scriptures to see if what Paul said was true. Here's what we find out. When the gospel goes forward, it is okay if it's evaluated. It's okay if people look at it and say, is this really true? What this tells us about being a church is that we don't need to be embarrassed about what we're teaching. It's not like we teach this on Sunday morning and then you become a follower of Jesus and you learn all of this other stuff that you think, oh man, I didn't know that up front. We don't have any cards to hide. We don't have anything to hide from someone. We put the scripture out there and say, let's talk about it together. What this means is if I say something or you hear something from your Sunday school class or God forbid, you read something on Facebook and it maybe doesn't sound quite right. <laughs> it sounds like, I don't really know if that matches up with scripture. Guess what you do? You go back to scripture and you say, is this really what God's word is teaching? We live in a world where you get bombarded with so much information. You turn on the internet and there is so much information there. You open up Facebook and there's information there. You turn on the TV and there's information there. You go to the movies and you run into something like a Christian movie, like Left Behind or something like that. When you take in this type of media, do you know what you should do? Go back to the scripture and evaluate whether or not that's what God's word says. Because it's so easy to watch a movie or to read a book or read a Facebook post and get alarmed and think, is that really what God's word teaches? Hear us say, we want to evaluate this together. If I say something on Sunday morning and you don't understand it, talk to me. Send me an email. Sometimes people just nod at me and I know that they really didn't understand what I said. That's a story of my life uh, up here. And, and I know that, man, that they did not understand what I said there. But you want to look spiritual. You want to look religious. You want to say, I, I want to look like I have it all together. So you're afraid to say, what did you mean by that? We live in a world where we have to examine the scriptures together. Don't simply hear what one person says and take that as gospel truth. Let's be like the Bereans. Let's go back to God's word and examine if it's true. Okay, one more town in Acts 17. We'll wrap up with Athens. In verse 16, so go back to your, your Bible or your phone really quickly. Verse 16, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens... 
He was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Verse 19, then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we want to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Okay, so when we got to Berea, I said we turned south on 603 and went to Bay St. Louis. When we get to Athens, we're just in New Orleans, okay? (laughs) Everything is broken loose at this point. When you get to New Orleans, not New Orleans, when you get to Athens, you're at the cultural and intellectual center of the world. And there are three words. And I would encourage you to write these down. When you think about Athens, think about three words. And they all start with the letter I, so hopefully that'll help. The first is idols. In Athens, idols were everywhere. If they couldn't imagine a god, they would make another idol and say, this is the idol to the unknown god. They didn't want to leave any gods out. So they had idols for every possible god. The other thing that they had in Athens were ideas. They had all kinds of ideas about what was spiritual, about what was true, about what was right. The third thing that they had in Athens, they had interest in new ideas. If something new came up, they wanted to follow that. They wanted to know more about that. So when you think about that, when you think about idols, when you think about ideas, and when you think about interests in spiritual things, guess what should come to your mind? The internet in 2014. This is the world we live in. We live in a world where there are so many ideas out there, and they're all put out there for us to consume. There's all kinds of interest in spiritual things. Everybody on social media looks spiritual, or acts spiritual, or pretends to be spiritual, or shares a spiritual article. There's all of these ideas that are put out there in the marketplace. But here's the problem. An idol will not help you in your time of need. An idea is not going to help you when you're facing death. Interest in whatever new is okay until the next new thing comes along and then you start to chase that. And so Paul comes into Athens and look what he says to them down in verse 22. Paul stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens... I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Now what you worship as something unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you. Listen to what Paul says in 24. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything, Because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them, and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him, and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each of us. For in him we live 
and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And then look in verse 29. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Then verse 31, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. What Paul does in Athens is he engages with what's going on in this situation. He doesn't run away from the idols. He doesn't run away from where all the people are gathered. He doesn't run away and say, I'm just going to go live as a hermit in this area over here. He engages. He meets them right where they are, and he points them toward the hope of Christ. When you're dealing with people in your life who don't like the idea of faith, when you're dealing with people in your life who don't like the idea of Christianity, who say, I want to keep my mind, I'm not going the religious route, Paul does two things here that I want you to focus on and then we'll we'll be finished at that point. He does two things. He points to the creation and he points to the resurrection. You're going to have people in your life who will want to argue with you about all kinds of spiritual things. They'll bring up the most nitpicky, small, insignificant, sideways thing that they want to discuss about Christianity. What Paul does, and this is a perfect model for us to follow, what Paul does is he meets them right where they are. And he says, you know what? I'm really glad you're interested in spiritual things. So when you're at work and somebody brings up an oddball Facebook post that they saw, and you think that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard, your response is, you know what? I'm so glad you're interested in spiritual things. I think that's a really important topic. And then you point them two places. One to the creation, that God is the one who has created all things. And then you point them to the resurrection. God is the one who has overcome sin, he's overcome death, and he gives us hope for all eternity. Because if you can get someone to look back to creation and admit that our life only exists because God gave us that life, and if you can get someone to look forward to the future and think about What is going to happen to me at death? What is going to happen to me at the end of the world? And you can talk to them about resurrection, then you've done exactly what Paul's done here in Athens. You've given them hope based on a God who gives life and a God who gives eternal life. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says that if you will confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. He is over all things and you will believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that the resurrection is true and real and powerful, then you will be saved. So as God's word spreads throughout the world, we explain God's word, we evaluate God's word, and then we engage the people around us with the hope of creation and resurrection. If you're here this morning, and you came just to to visit to see what was going on, and you've always kind of been closed off to the idea of Christianity, can I ask you just to think about creation, think about resurrection? If you're here and you have people in your life, maybe they're scientists or engineers or doctors or lawyers, and they just don't care about God. They just don't care about Jesus. Would you use this response time to pray for them?
to ask God to open their eyes, to open their minds to the hope of creation and the hope of resurrection. Let's pray together.